out beautifully and but we're back because we have a special guest here we on the a podcast special guest and i wasn't gonna put her outside <laughs> because she's from malaysia so uh, we don't the, do cold well oh yeah just hot <laughs> and humid <laughs> pretty much uh, i love it so now she's just a mystery voice on the on the show that's even right better now. how long can we make so this great. go well I, we gotta thank our sponsors for this season so number one we gotta thank strix on yep. for sponsoring the podcast uh we appreciate them a lot for for trust we trust them with our game and they trust us with with the advertisement on the podcast so thanks strix on also too we've got a new sponsor for the show and for the winter arcos a lot of you guys might have heard Arcos tracking. So um, I actually tried it out today. There's basically some trackers that you stick on the end of your clubs and a, uh, a little caddy that you put on your belt, and it'll go in and track your game. So it'll automatically know what club you're hitting, where you hit it from, and how many strokes it took you to complete the hole. So I used it today, and I loved it. So we're gonna be, they're going to be sponsoring the podcast for this winter and uh, sponsoring Cracking the Code yep. as well. So if you guys use discount code. the discount code, one rule 15. Yeah, one is spelled all the way out. O-N-E-R-U-L-E-1-5. You get 15% off your purchase from Arcos. So thank you, Arcos, for sponsoring like this winter and the Champions Playbook. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> with Scott. that, so our, uh, I haven't seen you in a couple of years. Remember, listeners don't know who it is. I know. That's why I'm, I'm keeping the suspense so they'll keep listening. I love it. Um, so... Um, it's been, I don't think you've seen us up here in Franklin yet. So, um, and we had COVID, so that kind of locked everything down for a while. So, um, this person taught me to teach uh, along with Hank. So, basically mostly talked about Hank. Um, some of you may remember we had Nick Dunlap uh, live in person here. Um, Playing at he, Alabama now. He's officially yeah, an enrollee. Yeah, he's there doing very well. Uh, so, she got to spend some time with young Nick as we were all growing up. One heck of a talent. So I'll pick her brain on that. But anywho, um, I was the uh, Padawan uh, for a long time. She was a Jedi Knight and Hank was Yoda. So <laughs> Hank is Yoda. Um, our Jedi Knight, who's now known as Yoda in some ways by her own students, uh, Former LPGA Tour player for 10 years, I believe. Is that correct? Correct. 10 um, years. Is now has her own golf studio or golf academy uh, over in Malaysia called Masters Golf Performance. Performance. Very good. Spent some time with the Malaysian national team coaching. And so, anywho, with that, uh, Suai Lim is joining us yes. on the podcast. Hello. So welcome, Suai. Woohoo! Thank you very much. Um, it was a it was a short flight here. <laughs> yeah, a short short flight. So you can see why um, our our heights probably resemble each other. For those who, yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> um, so, anywho, um, Suai, tell us a little bit about. Um, just kind of thinking you've got your own golf studio or golf academy now um how long have you run that and kind of where is your program headed i guess is kind of a good starting point uh master's golf performance uh was established in 2016 june of 2016 
uh, I had gone back to Malaysia in 2013, start of 2013, and I was working for another company then. And then kind of opportunities presented itself, and I started, uh, I was given an opportunity to start my own thing. So uh, 2016, I yes. started my, my, my own golf academy. Uh, was at a uh, another golf club in Malaysia called Glen Mary Golf and Country Club. And uh, so I started out there, been there since then. Um, and over the time, I had one um, young professional that was with me. Uh, so I taught him how to teach to get it all started. His name was Jonathan. And uh, Jonathan was um, very good with kids and, and kind of helped him uh, establish himself as a golf instructor. Um, and then later on, right before COVID started, well, we, when, when COVID started, we kind of didn't have much going on. Um, <laughs> yeah, y'all were on a lot more lockdown than we oh, were yeah, here in the Oh, yeah, our States, lockdowns so. were ridiculous. But um, March, uh, no, May of 2020, I got another uh, apprentice that started with me. Um, and then October of that same year, another guy joined me. And so it's been growing slowly. And you have, you said, five or six now? You have five? Uh, five. So um, those two guys, uh, uh, Nick and Shane, that, was, uh, that started in 2020, they, they both got certified to teach. And once we um, were released from lockdown... Uh, golf went gangbusters in Malaysia. It was <laughs> phenomenal, uh, mainly because that was one of the few sports you could play. <laughs> so they just wanted to get out of the house. Yeah. Um, so there a lot of people started learning how to play golf, which was great for the golf industry there. Um, and then we started, uh, a lot of kids started picking the game up as well because suddenly golf became cool again. Um, so uh, I think early April this, this year, uh, another young uh, gentleman uh, started to uh, apprentice with me, and so he makes four. Um, and then I have about five guys right now teaching, and then once I get back in November, uh, I'll have another young gentleman apprenticing with me as well. You're getting a picture of where we're going here. If you can kind of hear those those layers, we've got some people coming in, and I'm currently starting that that process next so it's a lot of fun we both learned um under hank johnson there to teach um and so we have a lot of similarities in how we teach we have we have a model for how to coach people which is really cool i, th I think there's a lot of other places where it's like they just kind of grow up doing it but they don't they don't have a model so they're trying to reinvent the wheel and we've already right. got the structure there even if we make minor modifications to it right like the structure there is is really solid so now speaking of Hank and I'd love to get both of y'all's take on this because you're doing the same thing on opposite sides of the world almost. Why do you think that golf in 2020 took off so much? I mean, there's the obvious answer of, of lockdowns and the fact that it was something that you could do outside of the home, but golf does seem to be cool again. Why do you guys think that is? Um, well, I, I think for here in the States, um, it's like we have things like Top Golf that have made it entertaining. Um, the last number I heard was that 30% of new golfers in the States, at least, had their first experience with Top Golf. So, of the new golfers that came in, their first experience was through something that was relatively just, it's just fun and it's relatively easy. You know, as a beginner trying to play the game, 
making 12s and 15s on every hole isn't all that fun and entertaining. Or just sitting on the driving range yeah. with one um, pasture out in front of yeah, you. Yeah, and we've got <laughs> – I mean, it started in Texas, and we'll have the Operation 36 people on here in the podcast in a couple of weeks. But Operation 36, starting kids from 25, 50, 100 yards. I just had a match today with some kids. It's just they get to start close to the green and build some success, genuine success, with the part of the game that represents a fairly high percentage of the shots. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of improvements overall through the program. He had TPI before Op 36. I think what Op 36, you combine it with a TPI structure, is really kind of powerful. They kind of go hand in hand. And in now for those ways. listening, describe in, you know, 10 seconds TPI and Op 36. Uh, I'll let Suai talk more on the TPI. Um, but the Op 36 is the whole goal and structure of it is, like, let's get kids to shoot 36, even par, and kind of build this mindset of being able to be under par, which I think is really cool. Um, it may take them longer, but they start from 25 yards and go back by 25, they go to 50, and then they go to 100, and then it progresses on until a full set of tee box. So totally. it's, it's a wonderful way. You know, it's like raising the hoop for a kid shooting basketball, that kind of stuff. So wonderful structure. Um, but I think that's one of the reasons why it's, it's boomed. Um, golf has three problems. It costs a lot of money. It's really hard. Uh, and it takes a lot of time. Top Golf really solved all three of those. Especially if you bring a group of six people, like people are like it's forty bucks. I was like, well, if you got six or eight people standing there, split that. You're there for an hour. The food's great, so it's fun, entertaining. You got TVs. Mm-hmm. You can literally top it, and it <laughs> go down into a target, and you get some points. Like, so you can be successful in a small way and it's fun it doesn't cost a lot of money it doesn't take much time you can be there for 30 minutes you can be there for four hours if you want so let's take a plane ride around the world what does that look like over in malaysia well um we don't have operation 36 in malaysia because mainly our golf courses tend to be quite packed out Mm. so we don't have a lot of golf courses especially for uh, opportunities to play um, during peak hours so uh, what they do instead is they have a lot of these uh, virtual golf so they, they have a lot of the indoor golf facilities and so they have uh, you know things like trackman or uh, uh, GC quads um, and they have indoor facilities that people go in very similar to that of um, uh, top golf but instead of an outdoor where you're hitting golf balls out towards them you're just hitting it to a screen yeah and then they also will have their their own uh, uh f and b and dining and all that that's with it cool very nice yeah no i, I and i think obviously there's the obvious part of covid right we people have just been stuck inside and they want to get out and do something but um I still fundamentally believe, so like our, one of my big things, right, is people can do hard things. I actually think people want a challenge. People don't want everything to be easy all the time, but they want to be able to see that they can get better and improve. And overall, I think the quality of instruction across the golf industry has improved. Um, I think we are able to stand out in ways that put us, you know, a, a head up, a, a notch up because of our experience with Hank. I mean, Hank was right there with the Butch Harmons and the david ledbetters of the world like top of the top and uh, i remember hank telling me stories when they were at the golf digest schools and toski look at hank and go like hank you got him fixed in the first day like slow down like we got him here for a week they spent whatever it is fifteen hundred three thousand dollars be here for a week and they're done in the first day like let's stretch this out they're going to start to think they can only come for one day you know but like that's who we learn from 
And, you know, that's, I had 10 years under it. You were probably around that same, you were, he coached you too. So you got a lot of that through. Yeah. I mean, I started working with Hank since 1999. And when I left, it was 2012. Yeah, so 13. So, yeah, so, I mean, it, 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 he, I, I was working with Hank first as a professional golfer. I was, you were on the so, tour at that yeah, point. Yeah, I was yeah. on tour at that point, yeah. and then he didn't really want me to teach while I was playing, um, and so I would um, kind of sneak in and just sit and watch some lessons in between shots. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I would be doing that. I would help out with some of the ladies' clinics, uh, and junior camps and stuff like that. Why would he not want you uh, teaching while you're playing? Do you think it's kind this of dis- really distracting? Good. This is really good. I, yeah. I, I think just there's for a, those of them out there a, who don't there's know. There's a part of it where, and I, and I recognize that more now as a golf instructor and when I'm not playing, is mainly because you don't need to clutter your mind mm. um, as a player. You just need to know what you need to do as a player. You don't Makes need to sense. know theories. You don't need to know everything there is to know about the golf swing you just need to know everything there is to needs to know about your golf swing well yeah. that's what's important speaking yeah. of you playing on tour as well i'd love to and i think the listeners would love to hear as well your journey from turning pro and then being on tour what that's like as a part of the lpga and, and some of the challenges some of the awesome benefits some of the 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 rushes that you were going on i mean how was how was your life on tour from turning pro and then staying on tour for as long as you did? So start from, you played at South Carolina. I did play at South Carolina. So start there and kind of give us the, the rundown. Uh, okay. Well, I played, uh, I got, got a full scholarship uh, at South Carolina. Um, they found me in the mailbag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, uh, the offer was made uh, to me when I was uh, when I won the Thailand Ladies Amateur Open. Uh, I got a call from the coach to come to South Carolina, and uh, on a full scholarship. So off I came, and then after that, uh, played for them for four years. Uh, was uh, Conference Player of the Year, SEC Player of the Year, uh, in my junior year. Uh, All American also that same year. Wow, that um, cool? That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I, I think I won uh, regionals that year too, NCAA regionals that year. So it was a it was a very packed um, uh, uh, season. I, I finished um, my senior year. Uh, I think I, I finished. I want to say six on uh, at NCAA's. Um, it's unbelievable, so, yeah. so yeah, so it was it was it was a it was a I had a really fun career uh, at at South Carolina. That's so cool to hear too, because as somebody who's played team sports their entire life, mm-hmm. we're used to you know winning as a team and losing as a team. So the fact right. that you're like, hey, I I was the sixth best player in the SEC that year. I mean, that's in the entire NCAA. Was, yeah, excuse me. Yeah. Um, just unreal. That's so cool. So you're at you're at South Carolina, play all four years. Tell us about that transition to the tour. Uh, so the next step was to try and play uh, Q School. Q School was uh, very different because you go out there and you think you're, you're great after having a very stellar uh, college career. And then you find out that everybody that's there has also had a very stellar <laughs> college career. 
Oh yeah. So uh, I I didn't get through um, Q school that first year, that first attempt. Uh, I was I was I was uh, I think I made it all the way to final stage, and I think I made the cut on the final stage, and then I kind of tanked it on the last day. So I missed getting my card, but I played on the futures tour and uh, did really well. And that was. Uh, uh, yeah, that was my first year. I, I, I did really well on the Futures Tour. Uh, got ready to go for Q School again and miss both first stages. I was like, oh, that was a gut punch. Uh, so We've talked about the difficulty of getting out there. Oh, yeah. And you have to do it on that moment. Like, oh, that, if you that, play well the week before, two weeks yeah, after, it, it doesn't, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't we, matter. We had a podcast uh, a couple yeah. months ago with um, – Monday Q info. Ryan. Uh, Monday Q info, if you want to follow him on Twitter. Yeah, but he yeah. follows all of the guys who are trying to Monday qualify for everything. And you can be one of the best players that right. aren't on the tour right. and still miss the, still miss the cut and not qualify for, for a tournament. Oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm sure was nerves a part of that as well, being like, man, I got all the way to the final stage last yeah. year. Right. I mean, the, I think when you go in with expectations as yeah. well, and you think, yeah, yeah I'm going to do it, and then, and then when you tank, it's, it, it's, it's, it's heart-wrenching. Sure. Um, so I went back the following year, played on the Futures, did pretty well, went back to Q School again. Um, so this is your third, third time. time. And uh, I, I, I had a very interesting Q School. I shot 84 the first day. Oh, no. Oh, my. I shot 67 the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so this goes to the, like, we'll let you keep going, but this ties into a lot of things we've been talking about for the last two years of, like, people are like, I'm so inconsistent. It's like, this happens to the best players in the world. 17 shots swing. Yeah, 17 shots. And so uh, 80, 84, 67, 70, 73. I think that's, those are the numbers. It's been a while. And uh, got my card. <laughs> what, what was, was that feeling like when you got your card after all of that? Relief. Relief? <laughs> Relief. It wasn't even excitement. It's just like, it's oh, like, I oh. did it, finally. I remember Hank, Hank used to say it's like, it's like your annual job interview. <laughs> That's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> it's yeah. an annual job interview. Yeah. You miss it, you try again next year. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, like I'm thinking of some of the stories Hank used to tell about Suai, too, and it happens to everybody. Like, So this is like you first get out there. And you start to be recognized as a good player, and it's like you get this equipment. They'll give you this equipment, and you got this equipment. You can oh do this Lord. thing over here. <laughs> so, like, Hank would tell these stories about just – it's not just Sue I, right? It's this – it's so easy to get lost in yeah, I mean, the environment. The, my, my, first, my first year on tour, uh, I was like a kid in a candy store. It was – on Mondays and Tuesdays on the t driving range on tour, you would get all the club manufacturers there just wanting you to use their stuff. Because come Thursday, there's someone at the tee box working for Daryl Survey that's checking your equipment to see what you're using. And they're tr of course, they're trying to get on the Daryl Survey. So I remember that first year I was on tour, and I'd be like, oh, this is nice. And they were like, do you want it? I'm like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And I'm like, oh. And I, and I think I walked off that first tournament 
the first the first day at a tournament. I think I was in Arizona. I was at Moon Valley Country Club. And I walked off that day with four drivers and two putters and a wedge. <laughs> They're like, try it, try it. I'm like, okay. Your bag was just full of head covers and nothing else. I just else. had clubs. I'm like, I didn't care. I just had them. And there's a, you know, Hank always said, you know, you tour players, if it's free, it's for me. <laughs> it's free. I love that saying. Man, that's so great. Well, um, now, I've got a question because from, from baseball, we, we had our equipment preferences. When you got onto the tour, did you go in with, man, I, I, I'd want this, that, and this? For, or did you have a certain manufacturer, or were you just trying to try everything? How was that process of choosing your equipment for the tour? Oh, Lordy, I'll be, I'll be honest with you now. I was clueless when I first went in. Um, I, coming, again, coming from Malaysia, club fitting was not big mm. when I was growing up. Interesting. And so for us, it's buy a club, and you figure out how to make it work. Mm. And that's, that, was, that, was how I, that was how I learned. Sure. Um, after that, uh, when I got to college, there was a little bit different, but not too much. They would be like, oh, you need this? Okay, here. And that was it. My first real proper fitting uh, was with Hank. And he said, oh, you're going out to California? Here, I'll come out there too. So we were at TPI, Titleist Performance Institute. And... I got properly fitted for the first time, and it, I was mind blown. <laughs> I was standing on the range there, and they would be like, okay, here's your pitching wedge. All right, it's flying 115 yards. Okay, what gapping do you want? And I looked at them like, huh? What's that? You mean I can choose? <laughs> you mean I and can have this club go exactly the distance I want? Yeah, and they're, so they're like, and yeah. At, th at this point, you're the sixth best player in the NCAA at this point. I'm on tour at this point. And you're on tour. Like, on tour. Yeah, she's now one you've of the best done, in the world. You've done so well up to this point, and now you're finally getting your fitting experience. Right. And Scott and I have talked on multiple podcasts about how important it is to get fit for clubs. Right. And you went your whole life and were as successful as you were without even a proper fitting. Correct. So for those of you listening at home, you understand who we're talking to here. Well, I think, I think too, you have to understand there's a difference, like, just overall culturally, right? So totally. like information is almost ubiquitous at this point in our current culture, right? Mm -hmm. And so like everybody's an expert. It's really easy for everybody to be an expert. And so like there's some good in that because people being able to study and learn things in ways that they weren't able to do before, you can kind of catch the, the wolves in sheep, sheep's clothing kind of thing. So you can see if you're being lied to or manipulated uh, into buying a product or buying a big package of lessons or whatever. And so... Back then, like, you trusted the experts. And so, um, just, it's just a different world now. Like, and so I think understanding that and I think trying to let people see experts as being experts and just trusting is in some ways harder to do now. I think there's an education component to that. And, um, and we almost have to earn their trust where they can shut down the other things. Right. I mean, I think one of the most interesting things I have these days is I used to ask people when they come to me uh, for their first lesson interview, um, who's your coach? And today I have to go, do you watch YouTube? Oh, yeah. And the number of people that have watched YouTube and have gotten thoroughly confused 
uh, just blows my mind. And I'm like, keep watching. Great marketing for me. Because they get confused enough, they have to find someone and it's to, to, uh, to kind of untangle the web. And it's not even that the information is necessarily wrong. Um, this is why I've referred to YouTube as like the WebMD of golf instruction. It's like this content on WebMD is not intended to be wrong and confuse you. But it, that is its unintended effect a lot of times. And so it's for us to untangle that, it can be a challenge. Um, but it's, the golf swing is incredibly complex. And there's so many things well, that are out there. And they've got competing philosophies. They don't understand that there's right. the base of those two things is actually entirely different. And so we're back to the, well, the evaluation. You, know, you, you, mentioned, you mentioned about TPI earlier. And, and TPI's basic mantra is that there are many ways to swing a golf club, but there's one efficient way for you to swing the club. And a lot of that is based upon your body, what your body can physically do. What YouTube does is that it's telling you general information, which is accurate, but it may not fit your body makeup or what you, your body can physically do. And uh, range of motion issues are unique to every single person. And so that's why for me, uh, I've been asked many times to do YouTube videos and I'm like, nah, that's just not my thing, mainly because there's so many components that you can't account for. Yeah, and you know, uh, one of my favorite quotes, so I got to meet Thomas Twitty, who I spent a lot of time with uh, back at Pure Performance in Birmingham, was he said, Scott, where we're headed is we, what people don't need, they don't need more information. They need management of the information that's there. And I think that's where, you know, there's some threat to like golf instruction because of people taking online lessons. It's like, sure, we can look at a swing video via FaceTime and say, um, thanks Hudson, um, and say, okay, yeah, we can see these patterns. But there's, it's really difficult. Like when I'm in person, you can sense things, feel things. You've got personalities. You've got learning styles. You've got uh, nuance that you can't see through 2D video, which flattens the image. Like there's so much that you can't do through that. Um, and so it's, as you've seen, like I haven't done anything on Instagram in like four months because I'm trying to figure out like what am I supposed to do with this space? Like I definitely need to be involved in it in some capacity. I haven't really decided yet. And so I felt like it was a good time for me to pull back the reins a little bit just to kind of, let's get a 30,000 foot view and then figure out what to do with it. And I think also um, not just the 2D side, sometimes it's the attention to detail. Um, it's, it's, it's how you hold a grip, how, how, where your hands are. And sometimes from a video, you can't see the details and uh, so, yeah, so this is perfect. We've talked about this where we've gone out on the golf course. I've gone out with Jack, and I remember the one day we were on the fourth hole. We're just sitting there, and we're watching four guys walk off the green. I said, I bet you I, bet you I can tell you what their swings look like, right? Like, just watching how they're walking with the club in their hand, like, you can kind of tell how they're probably going to hold the club, and we're 150 yards away from them. Like, you can see those patterns of movement before they even swing the golf club. Now, am I going to get the swing exactly correct? No. Am I going to get the basic pattern? Probably he's more being, than not. He's being generous too, Suai. When we were out there, so they're coming off 
we're on the fourth hole, but they're coming off seven green and walking up to eight. And he's like, all right, this guy, you know. I, I stood up and showed you. You did stu- stood up and show, but you're like, you know, his left leg's going to do this, and, you know, he's going to come over the top because he's compensating in this way. Sure enough, goes up there and hits his drive. I mean, it's exactly how he described it. And this is one of my – That's the Hank stuff that we picked up on. You're like – This yeah. is probably my second or third time, like, seeing his, seeing his wizardry that he does. <laughs> and at that point, I was like, all right, this guy just gets it. Well, you know, I remember times where we're sitting there – I didn't realize this until you reflect back on it. And as you get in those later years with Hank and you start to see it, as the person's walking up for a first lesson and they're just talking to Hank, he's watching every little movement that they're making when they're talking, like how somebody talks with their hands. Like you won't see a really good player stand here and talk with their hands like this. They'll talk in this way or they'll talk this way if they're a fader. Like you can see, like those habits are so deeply ingrained in people's body movements. And you can start to recognize who's played baseball, who's played tennis, like – Oh, my God. From baseball, too, like, you're, you're so right on how they move your hands. And so, like, for me, I'm really used to that, that motion, that inside motion, as you can even see here. And so it was pretty natural for me to go to golf and turn it over and pull it down almost. But it's just, like, these little innuendos that you understand or don't understand. I'm sure that's interesting for both of you guys to see. When and that's you're a whole other layer, time. like, deeper than TPI is, like, how did you learn to move growing up? You know, right. like – how does your body want to move on top of the injury and all that? So it's just kind of, I don't know, we were very, I think lucky's too soft of a term. I think we were blessed to be able to have that opportunity and to do it for so long. I, I really think she and I are in a, in a position to, in some ways, reset the code of bringing people back to how apprenticing really works. Apprenticing is virtually gone in the Western culture, and I think it's just such a wonderful skill. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go for 10 years like we did, but a solid five where you're deeply ingrained in learning that. I mean, the only places that it still exists in some ways are the medical community. It's not even in engineering anymore. It's falling out of engineering. It's falling out of pastoring. It's falling out of all these spots, and there's so much wisdom in Apprenticing. Well, Sue, I, too, I want to get your take on this because how much of you being with and around Hank, how much of that is you just putting in your 10,000 hours and how much of that is actually learning from Hank? Like, what is the, the, the difference there? I, I don't think you can separate the two. Mm. I, I think uh, for me, it was kind of a, a, a whole package. I mean, some of it was learning about my swing some of it was learning about uh, just the basics and how he taught Um, but a lot of it was just um, observational and and I think there's so much you can learn um, by not saying anything and just observing because the minute you start to um, try and put your what you're thinking into that lesson you, you miss on so many things that's happening. And lots of times when I remember when I was starting to think, I'm, I'm like trying to figure out, oh, he told him to do this. And I'm standing back here trying to figure out how it fit into my swing. Right. And, and, and one day, Hanks pulled me aside and said, you got to just watch. Don't be swinging in the background because, one, it distracts the student. But, two, you'll miss out the next thing. 
And for me, I was like, oh, okay. So I stopped. I stopped doing that, and I started watching, um, full attention, just watching. And it was amazing how quickly he transitioned um, bit by bit into the final product. And the, f the problem is for, for I'm, I mean, I, I'm sure Scott had this problem too, is like if you miss the first 10 minutes of the lesson, you miss the fix. You miss the fix. In fact, like in collecting the video and getting the video set for Hank, the fix might already be done. You're like, uh-oh, what happened? Like, <laughs> How did it change? Wait, what happened? And then there's the times of like, how did he see that? Um, and oh, the, the, the magic car. Do you remember the, the magic car that always had all the clubs that was needed? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. There was like, uh, if you think of like uh, Mary Poppins, like out of this <laughs> empty bag, you're like, there's nothing in there. Uh, <laughs> we've shared moments of this on the podcast, but I know some of these are 100 episodes ago. But of, um, I remember we were in the TaylorMade Performance Lab yep. with um, Tim. With Tim, and then the I, Matt lab. I can't remember, is one of the girls that we oh, taught. There, it happens so many times. Gosh, it happened all the time. So we were in there, was doing a putter fitting, and Tim's got 50 putters in there. And the Matt lab pumped out, hey, she needs a face balance putter with full offset with a line on it. Well, Tim didn't have one of those in the 50 putters. Like, it's a really rare fit. And Hank looked at me and said, hey, Scott, here are my keys. Go in my trunk. I've got a putter in there. It's got a head cover. So it's got a head cover on. I was like, okay. I grab it. There's one club in Hank's trunk. <laughs> and it's the exact one, club. one. And I come back, and as I'm walking in, I'm like, I'll take a peek at it before I get inside. Like, I was like, do I, oh, do I take it? Do I take it off? Do I not? Sure enough, it's a face balance putter with a full offset with a line on it. I was like, here's a $250,000 piece of equipment, and he did it. And so this is why you hear, uh, you go and search Butch Harmon giving talks. Butch Harmon's like, my, I, like my track man's right here. Right. And it really is in what their eyes do far better than the track man. Track man's only telling you what the club and the ball did. That's it. It doesn't tell you how the person learns. It doesn't tell you how they understand. It doesn't connect all the parts of the golf swing. Even a 3D motion capture is only doing, the human brain is doing umpteen thousand more things on top of that. Right. It was so cool to watch. Well, and it's, it's so interesting too how, how that skill can be, be learned, but it's also there's also people who can do it all over the world. I was watching a video of um, the, the, the channel name is called Random Golf Club. And he went to Mura's uh, facility over in Japan, I believe. And the guy fit him for a club. He's the master club fitter. And all he does is just get down on one knee right behind the student and watches. And he can hear it. He looks at it. And he fits, fits them. There's no technology in this bay whatsoever. And when I saw that, I was reminded of everything that you told me about Hank. And I'm like, this guy does it with golf clubs the way that Hank fixes golf swings. It's unbelievable. I remember towards, this is kind of my last year's there, around year seven or eight, just there were the years where Hank's like writing their notes at the end. And he's like, that was a good one. I was like, what are you talking about? You're not even looking. Like, you can't say that was a good one. You're just, you're literally looking down here. Like your peripheral can't even see out that way. Not even possible. I just remember sitting next to Hank and like, are you, what are you looking at? You know, and I can't see it. And then it was about year eight for me where I'm finishing up with Katie Tangy on the driving range of Timberline. I'm turning around talking to Grayson Gladden. And Katie hits one. I was like, Grayson, I had my back to, to Katie. I was like, did that ball draw? She was like, yeah. I was like, hmm. And it's not just a solid shot. Like, 
there's a distinct difference in sound between a draw and a fade, a fade and a slice. Like, there's a different sound. Even if they're hit solid, there's a different sound. And I was like, that was the aha moment. And I couldn't do it all the time at that point. I still can't do it all the time. But it's like, he could hear it with his ears. <laughs> like, and he's writing notes at the same, he, and he knows the swing well enough. I'm guessing there's even the point that he could tell what the swing looked like by any sound on the driving range. Pretty much. Like, that's, that's 50 years of teaching and coaching, and I'm 12 years into it, and Sue Eyes, what, 20-ish? Oh. 22? I, st- I, stopped counting. I stopped counting. 2012 that. was 12 years, so 10, so 20-ish years, like... I started in 2009, yeah. yeah. I remember him telling me, this was after Sue I had left, he said, the two of you are going to be able to do more than I could do because you've got this head start. And, you know, we've seen other guys in the area go and teach on their own at a, another club, and even Brooks is like, why, why didn't you come and sit here and ask to learn from Scott? Like, what, what, do, you, what do you think you can do on your own? Like, Scott's got 10 years of world-class experience under his belt because of who he learned from. Now, Sue, I, I'm curious from not only your experience with Hank, but also your experience on tour as well as a player. You know, we, we know now with social media, you know, TaylorMade will put out these videos. And, you know, these, these tour players can, can tell the difference between one rap, two raps, if there's an extra ounce of, of metal in the driver head. Like, how much of uh, your tour experience was aided then by Hank and, and vice versa, and does that help you in teaching now? I don't have that piece, so... Exactly, another, <laughs> reason, another reason why I wanted to ask, Scott. <laughs> I played in college, but I don't have that piece. Yeah. Um, I think being a tour player has really influenced the way I teach. Um, I think for me, I don't teach necessarily technique to always be able to hit perfect shots. Um, for me, my bend has gone towards helping uh, my student be able to take a swing that, that will work on the golf course mm. and almost work immediately. Um, if not, there's always a... Does that sound familiar? There's, there's, <laughs> there's always a fail-safe way, like, oh my gosh, nothing is working today. Okay, this is what you do when nothing is working today. Um, as a player, I realized also, I mean, and this is just me personally, uh, is that when I'm out pl- uh, playing, I need to be able to shut my brain off um, because inevitably there's going to be a time when I get over there and I'm like, I wonder why this works. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm hitting shots and I'm like, yeah, it works. Now, how does this work? And, 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 and so I've learned quickly when I start having a students that way, I'll be like, okay, let me explain it to you so you can shut that, brain, that part of the brain off. Because mm, totally. once that is answered, they go, oh, okay, that's a bit too complicated, but okay, now I understand kind of where it's com- you're coming from, and so, okay, I'll just do it. Well, that's another beautiful part of the game too, right? Because um, we've talked about the similarities between golf and baseball before, but I think the difference, especially in this setting right here, is with baseball, mm-hmm. we, we take so many reps in the cage 
to where uh, we don't have the ability to be able to, and it could be a blessing, could be a curse. We don't have the ability to, when we're actually performing in the game, there's tenths of a second between the time that the ball is pitched and the time that we have to decide to swing. And so in, in some ways, we're forced to turn our brains off because we literally can't process the information and still be on time to hit the ball. So it, it's interesting to, to see the similarities, but also how how mentally tough you have to be in golf to achieve an outcome that you could be fully able to achieve yourself, if that makes any sense, um, yeah, with I'm having curious. your brain off. I'm curious this thing gets to eyes take on what I'm about to say. And she'll probably have a more nuanced way, but, like, I don't even necessarily like the term mental toughness. I just – it just makes everything seem like a fight all the time. And, like, I, I think fighting language is not helpful. Um, it's more about mental discipline. Like, you have thoughts that just come out of nowhere sometimes. You're like, where'd that come from? Like, you're getting over a putt. And it was uh, – I think Hank talked – I think it was Raymond Floyd. I could be getting the story wrong. She'll correct me probably. But he's on the last hole, and he's like, the only way I can lose this tournament is if I five-putt this. And he's got, like, ten feet. Like, where'd that thought come from? You know, like, and so you still have to have the mental discipline to, like, redirect and grab on, and maybe you can call that mental toughness. I don't know. I just, I think there's a discipline. I think, I think they're very different. Um, I think mental discipline is the ability to control what you're, what you're letting float through your brain. Um, I think too many times we let stuff float by and we don't rein it in. And so that's, that's where it, it gets you in a trouble. Um, I think mental toughness is being able to stay up with it and not let a, a situation or an environment overwhelm you. So I think, I think they're kind of, to me, they're kind of different. Those are the words I would use. The toughness to, to, to stay on track or to stay on, on task, so to speak, without, um, without kind of wilting. <laughs> I love that. Because yeah. I think there is a total difference I between I like the two. that. I, I think that's a better description of it, uh, which is why I wanted your take on it from a player standpoint. I, I think people tend to just go for one or the other. Like, but I... I there's, yeah. there's so many aspects, though, yeah. to the mental side of the game. Um, it's, it's a bit, I mean, I have, um, I have a degree in psychology. I don't use it much. <laughs> you probably but use I it do every have, day in many ways. But <laughs> maybe I'm using it without knowing it. Oh, totally. Um, but I think it's helped me understand that there's, I mean, and, and I do read up on, on a lot of it um, as well because it is an area of interest. But I think at the end of the day, um, just from my experience of playing on tour and seeing the best uh, play, um, it's understanding that just because there's an adverse, um, something adverse happens in your round doesn't mean your round's done. Um, I learned that my rookie year on tour. I, I, I had a, um, on the LPJ we have to do something known as rookie hours. And uh, the rookie hours is to help rookies understand that golf tournaments don't just happen. And so we have to kind of put in so many hours in the year um, and kind of be uh, kind of behind the scenes, so to speak. So one of the rookie hours I did was actually becoming a standard bearer at one of the tournaments. 
I, th- I figured if I'm going to be doing my rookie hours, I might as well be watching golf, right? So I am doing standard bearing for Julie Ingster, Hollis Stacy, and Donna Andrews. I was like, oh, good group, good group. So I'm, I'm, on, I'm, on the, I'm on the golf course with her, and Julie triples, if I'm not mistaken, she triples, triples or doubles the first hole. And I'm going, ooh, hmm, might not be a good day for her, right? She proceeds to finish five under par that day. And and I got to see the entire round. And I'm going, what in the world happened? And and it came to me that just because you start off bad doesn't mean you're going to play bad. It's just because you'd had a bad first hole. What did you see from her in that round where you were like, Wow, that's just that's different. It, it didn't phase her that there was it was a bad hole. It didn't phase her it was the bad first hole. She just it's, went to the next hole and just kept playing. It's funny, do you remember the first round of the tour championship this year? Yes. Rory McElroy triples the first hole. He goes triple bogey. And then birdie double. Like you look at his card from the first day, you're like, this guy's totally out of control. But like he just same thing, just and stoic's probably not the right term, but, like, just very this way. And I think that's something you have to learn by experience. You can't just, you can't just tell somebody to just be like that. You that's just, mental toughness. Right. And so there's both the discipline of, like, not letting yourself go there and then just, like, I got to stay here. Right. Like, so I, I can see the, the two going together there. It's but, really too, good. and I'm curious to, to get your take on this, Sue, I, because I think we, a lot of us will watch sports, and the best of the best can just go to this place right. in, their, in their head and, and accomplish the task. What are some of the things that, that you saw on tour from some really special players that you were just like, wow, that's just, that's just different. That's just a different breed that I just have never been around before. Don't you love Jack's questions? Oh, I, 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 questions. I, have, I have a fantastic story. I was my rookie year on tour, and I got paired with Annika Sorenstam in my third round and um, I got onto that first tee thankfully I got to tee off first <laughs> so so there's a huge crowd around the tee and I was like man there are a lot of people watching golf today and then I, I, I they, they announced me international player rookie uh, player I tee off. You get the golf clap. You know, everybody's nice and polite. Good shot. Nice shot. Nice right shot. down the middle. Very nice. So then uh, Annika steps up, and, he sh- and, and they read that list. <laughs> she was the player of the year last year. She was a U.S. Open champion. It's like Phil winner. Mickelson going, like, and we got it to Tiger that one yeah. day. Yeah. <laughs> so it just goes on. And the longer I stand there, the smaller I get, right? And right when he's done... And he says, Annika Sorensen, the whole crowd goes wild. And I leaned over to my, my caddy, I goes, I think they came to watch her play. <laughs> 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 and, so, and so they're like, okay. So she, she hits a really good shot. We play, I think I get to my eighth hole, and I look at the standard bearer that's following us, and I'm going, I'm two shots ahead. I'm like, man. <laughs> Yes, and so go I'm me. Like, yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. And then I make a par on the ninth. She birdies. So I'm still a shot ahead. I'm like, that's okay. Then I make a par on 10th. She birdies. So I'm like, 
Okay, we're all tied up now. Then she makes a birdie on the next hole, and I make a bogey. And I'm two shots back. Three holes later, <laughs> I'm like, what happened? <laughs> what you just I l- got hit by Annika. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just got a steamroll by Annika. She's just like, all right. <laughs> and what I notice is that players um, uh, of that caliber, when you start playing at that level, they have that extra gas that they can just step on and just take off. Anytime they want. Anytime they want. And what I see that is that a bad shot doesn't phase them, but their bad shots doesn't kill them either. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. So their bad shots, and, and playing with, I played with Annika a couple of times when I was on tour, and I, every time I played with her, I learned something. Her misses were fairway, just off fairway, in the rough, um, but she would always be able to get it back and get the up and down. Uh, I played with Lorena as well, and Lorena's a lot of fun. She's very feisty, she's, she's, but she's a lot of fun to play with, and she hits it a country mile. I mean, it's like you hit a drive, you're feeling good, and that, dri- that, that ball is still climbing as it's passing you, right? So <laughs> hey. she, she's like, hey, nice to see you. Um, I'll catch you up 50 yards ahead. But, um, but she, was, she was a competitor. I mean, I think everything that I noticed about players is that they are competitive. It doesn't have to be golf. I mean, I saw them play tennis in Mexico. Everyone's, and, and caddies were worried because they thought one of us was going to pull something. But <laughs> if you put a bunch of tour players together, it doesn't matter what sport. We used to have a uh, baseball, a fun, uh, no, softball game we would play um, at one of the tournaments, and caddies were like, no sliding, no. <laughs> caddies are making rules, like, <laughs> are making none of rules. y'all allowed to get hurt. Yeah. yeah. Do so. the caddies give you, give you your bat, too, as you walk up to the plate? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> they just don't want us to hurt ourselves. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, you know, I think there's a competitiveness that's there, um, and they, they, they get themselves positioned. They, they, they put themselves in position to, to be able to play, and then once the time comes when they need to and they see that opening, they just gun it. Jack, the closest thing you got to, like, in-person experience with that was when you got to see Austin Jean shoot the course record out here. Oh, yeah. Um, and so Austin's one of my kids who was at Montevallo. I started working with him. He's at Arkansas Tech. You've seen me post about him. He has nine course records right now. Wow. I mean, he's had two of them have been passed, but, like, he's got nine. And we're playing the front nine. We're playing with Micah Stangby, one of my other really good players. And Micah's three under through eight. We played the back first. Austin's one under through seven. Birdie's eight, which is 17. Then he birdies 18. And all of a sudden, they're tied. It's like, wait a second, because Micah bogeys 18. And Austin kind of makes this comment. He's totally aware the whole time. He's like, I'm just a little off. I'm a little out of position. Like, I just need to adjust my position slightly. That's when you got to see him go on this tear on the back nine. It's like birdie, birdie, par, eagle, par, birdie, birdie. It's like, what happened? He shot 63. Scott's it's leaning like, over to me at this point, and he goes, he goes, Jack, he goes, just don't, do, don't, act, don't get too high. Don't, don't get too low. Just he's, stay where he's, you're at. He's, he's, he's going to get a course record today. Like, it's, you're not going to stop it. Like, it's coming and – but you got to see him flip a switch on, like, the seventh hole, and it was just like, boom. And you're like, what happened? When I saw him at Montevallo, this is the first time I started recognizing there's some, I think some of it's personality, 
some of it's how you were brought up. You had a lot of adversity as a kid. If you don't have a lot of adversity, it's, it's hard to learn that gear later on. But um, where was, where was I going to go with this story? Well, I'll tell Crap, you You're going to cut me off. It's great. Well, go. Go. I can't remember. Okay. So it's fine. Well, um, <laughs> I'll just, my quick little story Oh, is, I remember now. It's okay. Good. All right. Yeah. So go for it. Go for it. We were at Montevallo, <laughs> and I looked at him. We were on the putting green. A bunch of his other teammates were behind him, and I was just trying to talk to him, but a couple of them overheard it. I was like, you're going to break 60 one day. I don't know when, but you're going to break 60. And some of the other guys on the team were like, like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And he was just like shooting 77 at the time, but I could tell he had something different. And last year, I got a text from him. And he was actually texting me in the middle of his round he was playing. And at the end, he shot 58. And he said, what do you think they're all saying now? <laughs> like, it, I, it's different. And I don't know that you can teach it. You can refine it. Um, my final chapter of my first book, the Champions Playbook, like that's – that segment, the birdie game that I put in there, you got to make a birdie every four, you start over. I gave him that game, and that's what flipped the switch for him. was just like, I didn't teach it, but I gave him an opportunity to realize he can keep going. Well, and I think you can, you can, I think you can learn that, and I think you can teach it, but I think there is a point in an athlete's life where that switch is either on or it's off at one point, and if you miss the mark, like, you're just, you're done. And the reason I bring that up, and that's my personal opinion, because when I was when I was playing my short time at Tennessee and I was taking batting practice, there's a guy who comes up and he's in our batting practice group. And right now I'm just like this, you know, I'm the lowest guy on the total pole at, at Tennessee. And I, I get in the cage and I hit a few to the gaps. I hit one that one hops the wall. I hit one that actually hits the wall and I hop out of the cage and I'm like, wow, that was, that was a good round. Like I just, I just showed, showed him what I'm worth. And Alaric Solari is his name. He plays for the Minnesota Twins organization right now. With a name like that. He is two years younger than me at the time. He's a brand new freshman, and his forearms are the size of trees, small trees. <laughs> and he gets in the cage, and he is using, he's using like just a standard bat. He might have even been using wood that day. He hops in the cage. I'm looking behind him, and we were talking a little bit beforehand. And he, you, there's just a sound off a baseball bat that is just different it's like when you hear the spin off of a golf off of a golf ball and it's just like a cannon and he hits three home runs in that batting practice round he hits two to the opposite field which is the hardest thing to do in baseball two to the like the longest part of the field in the opposite side of the park and he hops out of the cage and he's like man i missed a few there and i'm just like dude like what are you what's happening here what is happening uso Yes. They're chatting. Yeah, Go so, for it. so Hank would talk about um, he was out. Hank played on tour for a little while before he got into the golf business and started teaching. Uh, but he's on the driving range getting ready for an event and hitting shots and getting warmed up and things are feeling pretty good. And he's starting to recognize, like, the guy behind him, his shots don't sound the same as mine. Like, they sound different. He's just So he just minds his own business, keeps hitting. He's like, that's a little different, and turns around, and sure enough, it's Jack Nicholas. Like, yeah, I don't have a chance. That's <laughs> oh my. Hank said, God. like, that was the moment when he realized, like, yeah, nope, I don't have it. Like, I, I just don't. Like, oh my God. And and Austin has that sound off the club. Like, even you put line him up with a dozen other guys at top in the country, and it's like there's a different, there's something different. And what it's is that physically? Is it the compression of the golf ball that you can just 
get to. There's at just this point. no loss of efficiency, and they just seem to find like you can give him just about any golf swing, and he still finds the middle of the club face. You're like, how do you, how do you do that? Like some people can just find the middle of the face no matter what. Eye you give hand them. coordination. Yeah, it's just, and that's where TPI is helping to develop all that from the junior. We'll talk junior development and player development generally on the next one. Sounds good. Well, that sounds like a, a good place to end it. We're going to do one more with Miss Sue I here, so stay tuned to that. Um, we're going to sign off here from the Champions Playbook inside the Persimmon Pub. Remember uh, to go and look at us on YouTube now. This video is going to be up on YouTube. You can also listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Make sure to give us a rating um, and a review as well. A review really helps, uh, but a five-star rating would really help us out, especially um, when we when you go onto Apple Music and and search golf, so Scott, what are our numbers too? As far as like where we're at in the golf standings on on podcasts, I think we're in the top seventy at this point. I and love we're that. We're in the top twenty five percent of all podcasts on all platforms. Love that too. So uh, make sure to stay tuned for that. Also, thank you Strixon and thank you Arcos for sponsoring uh, this winter of the Champions Playbook and cracking the code from Scott. So uh, from Jack Scott and Sue I here. We're going to see you on the next one. Peace.